Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do terrific work, and you can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including guests uh, William Yateman. He is a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. We're talking about things that are going on on Capitol Hill. Dr. Marlene Wust-Smith is a pediatrician and publisher of Physician Outlook magazine. We'll be talking about how to fix Medicare payments. Sean Higgins is a Competitive Enterprise Institute labor policy expert. We have a lot of questions of what's going on with labor unions. And also Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston, space architecture, and the author of many books, his latest, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. It is August the 11th, and on this day in 1934, a group of federal prisoners classified as, quote-unquote, most dangerous, arrived at Alcatraz Island, a 22-acre rocky outcrop uh, situated at 1.5 miles offshore in San Francisco Bay, the convicts, the first civilian prisoners to be housed in the new high-security penitentiary, joined a few dozen military pre- prisoners left over from the island's days as a U.S. military prison. Alcatraz was an uninhabited seabird haven uh, when it was explored by Spanish Lieutenant Juan Manuel de Alaya in 1775. He named it Isla de los Alcatraces, or Island of Pelicans, Fortified by the Spanish, Alcatraz was sold to the United States in 1849. In 1854, it had the distinction of housing the first lighthouse on the coast of California. Beginning in 1859, the U.S. Army Detachment was garrisoned there, and from 1868, Alcatraz was used to house military criminals. In addition to recalcitrant U.S. soldiers, prisoners included rebellious Indian scouts, American soldiers fighting in the Philippines who had deserted to the Filipino cause, and Chinese civilians who resisted the U.S. Army during the Boxer Rebellion. In 1907, Alcatraz was designated the Pacific Branch of the United States Military Prison. In 1934, Alcatraz was fortified in a high-security federal penitentiary designed to hold the most dangerous prisoners in the U.S. penal system, especially those with a penchant for escape attempts. The first shipment of civilian prisoners arrived on August the 11th, 1934. Later that month, uh, more shiploads arrived, uh, featuring, uh, among other convicts, infamous mobster Al Capone. In September, George Machine Gun Kelly and another luminary of the organized crime landed in Alcatraz. In the 1940s, a famous Alcatraz prisoner was Richard Stroud, the Birdman of Alcatraz, a convicted murderer. Stroud uh, wrote an important study on birds while he held in a solitary confinement in Leavenworth Prison prison in Kansas, regarded as extremely dangerous because of his 1916 murder of a guard at Leavenworth. He was transferred to Alcatraz in 1942. He's not allowed to continue his avian research, however, at Alcatraz. Although about three dozen attempted to try to escape Alcatraz, no prisoner was known to have made uh, successfully escaped the rock. However, the bodies of several escapees believed drowned in the treacherous waters of San Francisco Bay were never found. Another prisoner, John Giles, caught a boat ride to the shore in 1945 dressed as an army uniform. He'd stolen piece by piece, but he was questioned by a suspicious officer after disembarking and sent back to Alcatraz. Only one man, John Paul Scott, was recorded to have reached the mainland by swimming, but he came ashore exhausted and hypothermic at the foot of the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, Police found him lying unconscious and in a state of shock. In 1963, U.S. Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy ordered Alcatraz closed, citing the high expense of its maintenance. In the 29-year run, Alcatraz has more than 1,500 convicts. In March 1964, a group of Sioux Indians briefly occupied the island, citing a 1868 treaty with the Sioux allowing Indians to claim any unoccupied government land. 
In November 1969, a group of nearly 100 Native American students and activists began a more prolonged occupation of the island, remaining there until they were forced off by federal marshals in June 1971. In 1972, Alcatraz was opened to the public as part of a newly created Golden Gate National Recreation Area, which is maintained by the National Park Service. More than one million tourists visit Alcatraz Island in the former prison annually. An interesting story about Alcatraz. Well, Governor Ron DeSantis recognized and congratulated the Florida Law Enforcement Interdiction Strike Force to combat human smuggling and drug trafficking, announcing it had a successful first year. The governor's office highlighted that the strike force's efforts have paid off to the tune of thousands of felony charges, more than 40 human smuggling charges, and over 150 drug charges. His office also said he forced uh, the force garnered $2.7 million in seizures of illicit drugs. The office added that it is uh, through operations like these that reinforce Florida's commitment to law and order. And, Governor, we really appreciate that. The Biden administration is asleep at the wheel, and Florida will not sit idly by while drugs continue to pour across the open southern border and into our communities, DeSantis said. The overwhelming success of our interdiction strike force serves as a blueprint for states across the nation to uphold the rule of law and protect the, their communities from borders, uh, Biden's border crisis. Uh, that's our governor. Doing a great job. Law and order. He's running for president. Maybe that's not going as well, but quite frankly, he's doing an outstanding job, in my opinion, as a governor of Florida. Well, the House Oversight Committee released bank records yesterday showing Hunter Biden took millions of dollars from payments from Russian, Ukrainian, and Kazakh oligarchs. <clears throat> Hunter Biden received millions from uh, Russian oligarchs Elena Baterina, Ukrainian energy firm Burisma, and Kazakh oligarch Kenis Rakishev, when his father was vice president, and the committee found. The committee also identified over $20 million in payments from foreign partners to the Biden family and their associates. House Oversight Chairman James Comer announced that Thursday that their members of the Biden, uh, Joe Biden's family will be subpoenaed as part of the corruption investigation. That's great news. That is great news. Comer revealed that his uh, panel is in the process of constructing a robust legal case supporting, s supported by financial records and testimonies. The investigation aims to scrutinize the flow of millions of dollars received by members of the First Family from foreign nationals, potentially leading to the initiation of an impeachment inquiry. Comer stated this was always going to end with the Bidens coming in front of the committee, we're going to subpoena the family. He emphasized that effort to assemble a compelling case for legal proceedings and acknowledged the likelihood of a matter ending up in court due to opposition and resistance from the Biden attorneys. Closing in. The vice is closing in. <clears throat> While most of the world is worried about inflation, this is such an interesting story. China has the opposite issue. Consumer prices there fell 0.3% last month compared to 2022. Economists attribute the deflation to weak demand caused by record youth unemployment and embattled house market and fewer exports. Chinese factories churned out an oversupply of products, making producers' prices fall as well. In fact, I watched a video yesterday, about a seven-minute video, of uh, they made a, a ton of... Uh, electric vehicles that are just sitting there, thousands of them, uh, just uh, rotting on in a field. They're not sold. The same thing with bicycles, by the way. Just uh, thousands of them, tens of thousands of them, just sitting in a large field and uh, not being used. That's central planning for you. This could help ease inflation in the United States and Europe, but a prolonged slowdown in the world's second largest economy would spell trouble for global economic health. In another economic blow to China, President Biden signed an executive order yesterday restricting U.S. investment in some Chinese technology. So uh, evidence, more evidence that China is hurting. What really China needs right now more than anything else is a revolt among the young generation of workers. President Xi and the uh, com communist tyrants must be exiled and political freedoms need to re reign one in five, that's right, one in five 16 to 24-year-olds unemployed may pre-stage a rebellion against the communist oligarchy in Beijing. 
History shows that young people without jobs can generate a political tinderbox. Mark Skousen, smart guy, uh, professor of economics at Chapman University and the organizer of the Freedom Fest conference, reminds us, and here's his quote, communism can never be stable. Revolution is inevitable. The question is whether it will be violent or not. So China, again, evidence uh, problems in China. Democratic legislatures in uh, several states have been switching parties to become Republicans, which has led to a significant political realignment in those states. In North Carolina and Louisiana, party switching has given Republicans two-thirds majorities in both houses of these states in their legislatures, while West Virginia's House of Delegates is nearly 90% Republican. So a lot of turmoil in those states, in many states. The modern-day Democrat Party has become unrecognizable to me, said Republican State Representative Tricia Cottom of North Carolina, who switched from the Democrat Party at a press conference in April. And on top of that, West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin said Thursday he's thinking seriously about leaving the Democrat Party and becoming an independent before the 2024 election. Probably just kind of scoping out what his possibilities might be. He's running way behind as a candidate for Senate. And he's probably thinking, he's also said he's been thinking about leaving the party for quite some time, but he's not made his decision about his political direction yet. The comments come amid rumors that Manchin will launch a third party bid uh, to become president in 2024. We'll see how that all turns out. Well, Francis Collins and Anthony Fauci, the longtime directors of the National Institutes of Health and the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, respectively, personally received 58 royalty payments from companies to license their inventions developed with taxpayer money, that according to newly disclosed records. Transparency Watchdog opened the books on OpenTheBooks.com on Wednesday published more than 1,500 pages of unredacted records identifying which companies paid which NIH scientists for which inventions and when following a a mostly successful Freedom of Information Act battle with NIH. The 56,000 transactions add up to more than $325 million, according to OpenTheBooks, though the individual amounts for each payment and corresponding license are not listed in the records. Foucher received 37 payments for these three pharmaceutical companies between 2010 and 2021. Novartis has received $17 million in NIH contracts, contract payments and $15 million in NIH grants since that acquisition. Fauci's NIAD contract with uh, Chiron in 2004 helped him develop an avian influenza vaccine. He was highly paid federal employee with the Fauci retired at year's end with a $480,000 salary. You're now living on about a $400,000 retirement payment now. Collins, the NIH director, who stepped down at the end of 2021 and then served as President Joe Biden's COVID-19 czar, received 21 payments from four companies between uh, 2010 and 2018. Open the Book said obtaining the names and license numbers for each payment, which NIH redacted before the court-ordered uh, information was made public, was crucial for scrutinizing these records. So, yeah. Uh, which I'm really encouraged by, is that Senator Rand Paul said Thursday on Fox and Friends that he believes that Dr. Anthony Fauci is caught in a clear case of perjury related to his past testimony to Congress about coronavirus research in China. Paul explained that while he's pursuing an official criminal referral of Fauci in the Department of Justice for lying under oath, Here's a a statement from Paul. I don't think there's ever been a clear case of perjury in the history of the government testimony. And I don't say that lightly. He is adamantly that the, he said adamantly that the government never funded the gain of function research. We now know that the government accountability office, the GAO has admitted that funding came from NIH. Well, probably won't end in a prosecution because of uh, the the, uh, Department of Justice, but uh, certainly salute Rand Paul for seeking justice. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net.
Coming up, we're going to be visiting uh, with William Yateman. He is a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's, uh, by the way, Lou and B's Diner. I heard the commercial. They serve great breakfast and lunch. In fact, I'm joining some friends this morning for a breakfast at Lulabee's. They also serve terrific dinners Wednesday through Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m. The menu's great. It's great value, and it's informal. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. We have with us uh, William Yateman. He is a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, William. Tell us about the Pacific Legal Foundation. You bet. Uh, we're a nonprofit law firm, and we defend Americans for free from government overreach and abuse. And I must say, while you're doing that, it's usually to clarify policy, isn't it, to make sure that we're staying true to the Constitution? Here, here. Yeah. So uh, I, well, let's talk about some of the things that are going on in Capitol Hill. In Congress, uh, the House issued a report on Biden family business dealings. Uh, the vice is closing. What are your thoughts? Well, indeed. <clears throat> so this is the latest, the third such memo to come out of the House Oversight and Government um, Reform Committee. And this is headed by Representative James Comer out of Kentucky. And indeed, a, a bombshell report um, detailing $20 million in, in interesting wire transfers and suspicious bank activity. Those were how Representative Comers described it, um, funneling 20-odd million dollars worth of funds to Hunter Biden and his associates um, for apparently selling, <clears throat> quote-unquote, the brand, um, or either the illusion or actual access to his father, depending on whom you ask. Um, but as you intimated in the outset, this is the latest in this steady drip, drip, drip um, of disconcerting news about apparent influence peddling. Um, and to be sure, there's no smoking gun here that ties any of this money directly to the vice president, um, or whom at the time was the vice president, currently President Biden. Um, but this is, you know, it, it's 
Uh, one wonders what sort of services were rendered in return for these uh, very uh, these large sums of money. Um, so uh, again, that this committee is committed to to following the trail, to following the money. Um, and, and as I've noted on prior Fridays, uh, Congress has capacious investigatory powers. Um, now, to be sure, the president has all sorts of defenses at his disposal, um, constitutional, statutory, and otherwise, by which he can try to uh, wiggle his way uh, way out of these investigations or perhaps check them. Um, nonetheless, uh, we know this committee is committed, so I expect them to get to the bottom of this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, In fact, we'll uh, the, uh, Comer says that he's going to call... Once the case is complete, they've really pulled together the case and the evidence. They're going to call uh, Trump or call uh, Biden, both Hunter and Joe, in for testimony and other family members as well, perhaps James. So uh, th- again, this it's uh, the wheels of justice grind slow, but they grind fine. To be sure, uh, I'll note with respect to those uh, 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 testimony or calls to testimony, whereas they probably have a pretty good case to get Hunter Biden before them. Uh, when you start, when we get into Congress calling a, a sitting president before them um, to testify under oath, that runs into all sorts of separation of powers issues. That was sort of what I was alluding to before uh, with respect uh-huh. to the president's constitutional mechanisms to, to attempt to check these things. But um, no, no, this is what we're seeing. Uh, we're going to see this play out again at the highest levels of government. And, and here's to hoping they, they get to the bottom of this. So the president was, uh, I think, in Arizona, and he declared a uh, uh, three thousand miles of uh, uh, a national. I guess it was a natural a national preserve, or executive kind of an executive action that he took. It seemed very benign, but it's not. I mean, he's actually preventing mining of minerals that we need in order to uh, provide the the materials for his uh, Green New Deal. Here, here. This is the latest in a long line of, of unilateral executive actions coming out of the Biden administration that, alas, are par for the course for the modern presidency. Um, you know, we've, your listeners no doubt remember the $500 billion student loan policy that was struck down recently by the Supreme Court. There was COVID eviction moratoriums. Um, there's fate, currently, they're trying to phase out unilaterally coal-fired power plants and the internal combustion engine. Um, but this is the latest one, uh, a unilateral measure, as you said, um, to lock away thousands of miles in air, or thousands of square miles in Arizona um, from mineral resource development, in, in particular uranium. Um, and uh, I'll note here, we have a process for this. Congress set forth in a statute, a 1976 law. Um, a process that is meant to be inclusive of the public. Mm. Um, it, it is meant to be solicitous of the states before the federal government makes any land use changes like this. And what we're seeing, what we saw the president do, I believe it was two days ago, um, is circumvent this process. So uh. instead of this multi-year process that takes into account the viewpoints of all sorts of stakeholders, um, he did it with a swipe of a pen. So um, this is a big deal. Uh, I'll note here that Pacific Legal Foundation, we have fought many legal battles over the law that authorized, the, but that purportedly authorized the president to do this, this Antiquities Act from 1906. So um, it, it is not beyond the realm of possibility that PLF would, would mix it up, um, if not for this particular national monument designation, yeah. um, a subsequent one. This is, I'll note here very briefly, this is a statute, this is a law that pre- progressive presidents tend to go to town with during either their lame duck session or during their second term. So this is not the last you'll hear of these unilateral land grabs by the president. Well, thanks for that clarification. Again, William Yateman is a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. Pacificlegal.org is the website. I hope you check it out. William, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, William. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Dr. Marlene Wuss-Smith. She's a pediatrician and publisher of Physician Outlook magazine, and we're going to be talking about fixing the Medicare payments uh, process. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? 
Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratuscal Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Golf Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Golf Shore Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities with dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, Gulf Shore Playhouse is building a 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center on three acres at the corner of 1st Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, the state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about this season's exciting productions, Visit GulfShorePlayhouse.org. That's GulfShorePlayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a, co- a commitment to personal responsibility, individual liberty, uh, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston, space architect, and author of uh, many books, uh, among them, uh, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design by Professor uh, Larry Bell. By the way, I was watching before the uh, show, <clears throat> Tucker Carlson released yesterday his latest post. It's episode 15 uh, it was called uh, Tucker on Twitter. Uh, now that we ha- it's called X, I'm not sure what they're calling it, but irrespective. In this episode, he interviews Capitol Police Chief Stephen Sund. He said that uh, in the interview that he uh, had done this interview on Fox when he was with Fox. It's no longer his property, so he decided to do the interview over. Well, I've watched about 10 minutes of the interview. It is stunning, and I hope you'll check it out. It's uh it's about an hour long, 55 minutes and 20 seconds to be exact. And uh, it's already had over 4 million views, if you can believe that. And that was released uh, last night. He also did an interview of uh, Devin Archer. It's about an hour long, an hour and three minutes. It is just really fascinating and interesting. That uh, sheds so much light on the Biden corruption uh, schemes and uh, everything that was going on. It's, it, it certainly uh, humanizes Devin Archer. He's a smart guy, kind of interesting guy as well. Well, five Americans in prison in Iran have been placed under house arrest, a lawyer for one of the prisoners said Thursday, in the first step of a planned prisoner exchange between Tehran and Washington that will include the release of roughly six billion dollars in Iran government assets blocked under U.S. sanctions, according to multiple sources. Uh, if the uh, proposed agreement goes through, Iran will be allowed to access the funds only to buy food, medicine, or other humanitarian purposes. I don't know how they're going to please that. But anyhow, in accordance with the existing U.S. sanctions against the country, under the agreement, Cater's uh, central bank uh, will oversee the funds. That's a Q-A-T-A-R, Cater. I'm not sure how others pronounce it. That's how I'm pronouncing it. Anyhow, Republican lawmakers harshly criticized then-President Barack Obama when he made a similar agreement in 2015. The deal has been under negotiation for months with Cater and other uh, governments acting as intermediaries. I don't know how you feel about this, but it's kind of paying a ransom, isn't it, for for keeping hostages? And uh, I'm not sure that's something we do here in the United States of America. Well, he started doing it with Barack Obama, and uh, it seems that Joe Biden likes the concept as well. 
<clears throat> well, in the end, <clears throat> there really is a silk road of money that flowed from China to the Biden family coffers, despite Joe Biden's insistence to the contrary. The U.S. Attorney's Office in Delaware charged Hunter Biden with tax and gun crimes last month, released a federal court last week uh, a now-scuttled plea plea deal that affirmed the president's son got millions himself from Chinese sources in 2017 and 18 alone. That included money from the Chinese energy firm as well as legal payments from a Chinese executive convicted of bribery. <clears throat> the records confirm are uh, reported from uh, investigative author Peter Schweitzer's book, Red Handed. Now, I haven't read Red Handed yet, but I've read all of his other works, or most of them, and uh, he's a very, very credible uh, source. Uh, the uh, the date that date of 2020 when Senators Ron Johnson of Wisconsin and Chuck Grassley revealed bank transfers from Beijing to Biden to Biden's accounts. U.S. Attorney uh, David Weiss, I think it's pronounced, uh, uh, office in Delaware last week released the text of a Hunter Biden plea deal that Judge uh, Noreka rejected in which was scrutinized by critics over its broad immunity provision to the Department of Justice, which prepared to gift the younger uh, Biden. The description of Hunter Biden's income in Exhibit 1 of the deal confirms much of the compensation he was previously alleged to have received from Ukraine and China and covers the period from 2016 to 19. Overall, in 2017 and 18, uh, Hunter Biden received approximately $4.9 million from confirmed foreign sources. That is so concerning. In 2017, Hunter Biden received $1 million from a company he formed with the CEO of a Chinese business conglomerate, according to the agreement. The next year, he would receive even more, $2.6 million uh, from the same source. <clears throat> Excuse me, please. These payments, according to records released by Congress, came from CEFC, Chinese, China Energy Company. CEFC was founded by Yi uh, Yanming, who had uh, close ties with the Chinese uh, Communist Party, uh, those uh, ruling the Communist Party. The group received funding from the state-owned China Development Bank, and Yi was also the Deputy Secretary General of the China Association of International Friendly Contact, an alleged arm of the General Political Part, uh, Department of the People's Liberation Army. Additionally, as Grassley noted and wrote in the uh, Attorney General William Barr, he wrote to him in November 2020, uh, quoting an internal CEFC document, the company's mission was to expand the cooperation in the interna international energy economy and contribute to the national development, that is, China's national development. Exhibit 1 also listed a 664000 payment from a Chinese infrastructure investment company, based on Grassley-Johnson report released jointly in September 2020 by the Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs and then the Senate Finance Committee, chaired by Grassley. His company is, like, it is, his company is like, likely CEFC Infrastructure Investment. This company is a subsidiary of CEFC Energy Company and listed uh, uh, <coughs> the Yang Ming's uh, deputy as its director. Anyhow, the corruption and graft is just unbelievable. And what we've seen, these, these excuse me, revelations go all the way back to 2020. So we haven't had that, this information all this time. Uh, further, the plea agreement shows that Hunter Biden received 500000 in compensation from Burisma Holdings in 2017. The Ukrainian uh, energy company remains at the center of corruption. <clears throat> now, what's wrong with all this? <clears throat> Is that uh, he was going to be? Ha he was going to have immunity from future, uh, future uh, allegations or future uh, criminal charges. He was going to be protected, and then he would also have immunity from future prosecution. And uh, this is a sweetheart deal that uh, everybody was calling fake and phony. And uh, now uh, he's had to plead not guilty to the charges, and he's going to have to. F I guess his attorneys are now working uh, with. Uh, the uh, Department of Justice to figure out exactly what they're going to do uh, with uh, Hunter Biden's uh, plea deal because it's not going to go through. I'd like to see the whole thing go to court. I'd like to see the uh, see a trial and uh, let uh, Hunter Biden face uh, his consequences. 
Uh, Joe Biden said during an October 2020 presidential debate, I carried out U.S. policy. Not one single solitary thing was out of line. Not a single thing. Number one, he continued, my son has not made money in terms of this thing about, are you talking about China? I have not had the one guy who's made money from China is this guy, Trump. He's accusing Trump. Since the release of the plea agreement, the Washington Post has given these claims four Pinocchios, saying now nearly three years later, Biden's assertions have been directly rebutted by Hunter himself through his own court testimony. The vice is closing again on the Biden uh, crime family. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting. uh, Let's see who we're going to be visiting with. We're going to be visiting... Uh, with uh, Sean Higgins. He's a uh, expert at the Competitive Enterprise Institute on uh, union activity. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior quality schools of choice. Optima's goal was the successful launch of Hillsdale College Varney Charter School, Initiative Classical Academies, and other schools of excellence across the state of Florida, serving kindergarten through the 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. In a terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy has already opened here in Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website Optima.Foundation. Help children in Florida optimize their educational opportunities. Visit www.Optima.Foundation. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. And you can get tickets and find out more. Visit the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston. Right now we have with us Sean Higgins. He's the Competitive Enterprise Institute labor policy expert. Sean, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure, Sean. Tell us about the Competitive Enterprise Institute. We're a nonprofit uh, located here in Washington, D.C., uh, where we uh, analyze uh, politics and economics from a free market uh, perspective, um, where we believe in lower regulation and uh, just basically more freedom. Thank you for that. CEI.org, I believe, is the website. CEI.org. That's correct. So, uh, Sean, we've seen a lot of uh, activity with regard to uh, labor unions lately, with everything from the yellow shipping company to uh, final rules changes in the uh, Davis-Bacon Act labor regulations. But before we get into that in specifics, it seems to me that uh, labor membership, labor union membership is down. And I just wonder if uh, what your thoughts might be with regard to the influence of the Democrat Party now on labor union membership. Uh, do you think they're beginning to lose the uh, the affection of the Democrat Party? 
Well, it's a question. There's, a, there's an open question of how much affection uh, labor, the rank and file actually had for the Democrats all along. Um, we don't really know uh, what the voting uh, pattern for most uh, labor union members mm. is. For some reason, um, the Gallup company has the question on the subject is, are you a member of a union household? In other words, are you or your spouse or one of your kids or anybody who lives lives in your house a, a union member? Not simply, are you a union member? And therefore, then and that's the number that they say. And they assume, therefore, that anybody who's in a union household must be voting for a union, which doesn't strike me as necessarily intuitive. Hmm. Um, as far as I can tell, there's nobody that does direct polling to ask the question just simply of actual voters, are you are you a union member and how you voted, except for the AFL CAO itself. Hmm. And they don't release the, they don't they don't release their information, or at least most of it. Um, they occasionally put out uh, numbers on like specific races and that type of stuff if they think it benefits the narrative they're trying to tell. But for the most part, they keep they keep it they keep it quiet. So. But there has been some indication that um, union members uh, actually are voting, have been voting more Republican lately than, than in previous election cycles. Um, various comments by labor leaders like the late Richard Trumka indicated that Donald Trump was getting a much larger um, section of the union vote than previous candidates had. And again, the question of how many, how many Republicans, uh, how much, how much of the vote Republicans were getting is, is always has never been precisely clear to start with. Yeah. So it might have been larger than we suspect all along. Huh. So interesting, Sean. Thank you for those uh, comments and clarification, because it seems to me we're beginning to see, the, or have seen, the rotation from uh, the Democrats representing the elite and the rich, and uh, the uh, Republicans more representing the uh, blue-collar workers. So that's that's kind of interesting. So uh, I wonder if you could comment that you wrote uh, some information about the final rulemaking changes in the ba- uh, Davis-Bacon Act labor re- regulations. I wonder if you could comment on that. Yeah, um, for the sake of your readers who might be wondering what that is, that's a uh, federal law that sets the um, pay rates for uh, any any uh, federal contract. Um, in other words, if somebody's going to produce, say, boots for the boots for the army, um, these are the regulations that they have to uh, abide by mm. um, if they're going to if they're going to get that job, and that includes the rates that they're going to pay um, people working working for that. Now, in most of these cases. Um, it, under Davis Bacon, you have to pay what is called the prevailing wage for that work in the area. The idea being that they're not going to allow contractors to, um, you know, cheat out on cheat out on what they're paying their paying their workers. Mm-hmm. And the Labor Department then, under the Wage and Hour Division, goes out and determines what the quote unquote prevailing wage is. Mm-hmm. Traditionally, this means going out and surveying most of the people doing the same work and finding out what they're paying their workers, and then using that as as an average. What the Biden administration wants to do is limit it to just 30% of people doing the same type of work, which is going to mean that the uh, number that they're going to produce is going to be less accurate and it's just going to be more wiggle room. And the suspicion is that they're going to use that to try and drive the rates up. Hmm. And the reason why they would do this is because if you have to pay a prevailing wage, that basically eliminates the uh, advantage if you're an employer from having non-union labor. Um, mm-hmm. You're going to basically have to pay your workers what the prevailing wage is, which is likely going to be the union wage. So you might as so there's no advantage to having your workers non-unionized. And that's the whole purpose of the law is basically to take away the advantage, um, essentially to, to boost unions by taking by eliminating the fact that they may be at a competitive disadvantage um, in the companies that they work for. Also, it, it would tend to attract uh, uh, union member votes, wouldn't it, in terms of for the Democrat Party? Um, well, certainly the unions uh, try and make a big deal of this, saying that you know they've, they're fighting to, for, uh, to ensure that Davis-Bacon is always applied and that this is uh, bringing up the um, uh, union uh, 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 support union support in Democratic Party is strong. To the extent that that actually affects the votes, uh, I'm not sure that it does. Um, I think most of the workers in those um, corporations, in those situations, they're voting based on a variety of, th- variety of things, yeah. and I don't know that this necessarily impacts their vote much. What it does is simply drive the cost of federal contracts. Uh, for for the taxpayer. Well, thank you for that. So, uh, way off topic, but I was wondering if you could comment on the Hollywood strike, the writers, uh, screenwriters union, and those at, at, at parody, and uh, kind of it's stuck. They're, they're not making progress in negotiations. Seems to me they're coming from a pretty weak position when in negotiating with uh, these uh, various venues. What are your thoughts? 
Yeah, I mean, what's driving this to a large extent is uh, technological change. We're switching from uh, watching things in theaters and on uh, regular network television and more towards streaming services. And the writer and all these sort of old contracts are based on this old model, which is driven mostly by advertising, mm -hmm. whereas the streaming model is driven primarily by people directly paying the street streaming service. Um, and so a lot of the pay rates are keyed towards the advertising rates. And under the new contract, under this new sort of streaming system, a lot of the actors, screenwriters, some people are not getting the money that they would have done previously. Also, the other thing is streaming services typically don't produce as much. Um, in terms of the number of, of episodes or something like that. The mm -hmm. stream series will put out maybe 13 episodes per season, whereas a traditional television um, series would do something like two dozen. So um, the actors are, the actors and writers are working less, and the, a lot of the stuff is just simply per episode. So what they're just trying to get the studio to pay them, pay them more for this, uh, for the work that they're doing, um, and the studios are basically saying, well, we're not going to pay you more for you know, you're doing less. And this is sort of where the impasse has. There's other issues, too, such as uh, the use of artificial intelligence. Um, you know, there's a lot of actors and people who are very sort of worried about uh, the use of this to sort of substitute for some of the stuff that actors would do. Um, voice actors uh, are also being affected by this a lot because there's a lot of animation being done and a lot of stuff uh, that might actually be used uh, through artificial intelligence rather than uh, actors. So there's a lot of concerns there. Yeah, it's, to me, it just seems to me that the unions in a pretty weak position because these changes kind of like buggy whips, right? I mean, things, right. things are being phased out because of technology, and uh, they, I think they need to face the music and figure out how to make money. Not only that, but, I mean, a lot of the big studios have not had good years. I mean, there's been a lot of big movies that have come out that have flopped hard, um, a lot of series that haven't done as well as, as they would have hoped. There's been a lot of money spent creating these um, streaming services in the first place. Yeah. And... Um, well, the, well, I mean, the, they have been, they have, I mean, they're still big, profitable studios, but they're not rolling in dough the way they had been, you know, maybe just a few, even just a few years ago. Right. Uh, Sean, final question uh, before I let you go is that uh, Yellow Truck now has gone into bankruptcy, and uh, which is unfortunate. But uh, the, some of the uh, accusations have been that it's really the problem with the union. So, any any comments on that? Well, yeah, Yellow Truck had uh, basically a bad business model where they tried to expand a lot by purchasing a lot of uh, smaller rivals. They took on a lot of debt doing that, and they tried to sort of restructure. And But then they ran into the problem of the unions wouldn't give on um, restructuring some of the, the contract agreements because unions just – it's typically something the unions hate to do, particularly the, the Teamsters. Um, you know, their idea is once, you, once we – get a win on something, you know, we hold on to it uh, for dear life. Mm -hmm. and so they basically refused, refused to do that, and then ultimately Yellow went under. Now, whether that's specifically the union's fault, um, you know, that's that's debatable. But the, the bottom line is, you know, there are 22,000 people who work for that company who were union members and who are now, um, you know, out of jobs. Whether they'll be able to find work elsewhere in the logistics uh, trucking uh, sector, I hope for their own sake, because, you know, I don't, I don't like to hear about anybody uh, being out of work or broke. Right. Um, but, you know, it's a tough situation. And the union basically said, you know, we'd rather we'd rather the company go out of business than, um, you know, negotiate something to save them. And that's not interesting. It's kind of happened, to, as I recall, uh, Hostess Cupcakes, remember the, the company that ended up going out of business because the, the unions were steadfast and refused to negotiate. And so th these people all lost their jobs and the company went bankrupt. It just so, it seems so counterproductive to me. Well, but that's you know it's, it's it's a sort of a mantra of these unions, which is that you just you don't you don't give in you um, you hold on to what you've uh, uh, won in previous negotiations for the workers, and you know force management to look elsewhere uh, for solutions. Yeah, and sometimes that that uh, you know that stance that philosophy can uh, bite you in the bite you uh, in the behind. No question. Again, uh, Sean Higgins, Competitive Enterprise Institute labor policy expert. Sean, really appreciate you shedding light on these issues. I encourage our listeners to go to CEI.org, CEI.org. Sean, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston Space Architecture. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Uh -huh. 
Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, we'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the Intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They help prepare elected officials to have winning strategies in the legislature. And you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's also the author of a dozen books, his latest, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. Also, Professor Bell uh, writes a column for Newsmax.com. It's called On Point. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. My my eyes appreciate being on. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Professor. So your latest column, kind of interesting, is a ballot box still best for impeaching Biden. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, there's a lot of buzz about uh, impeaching Biden and so on. And, uh, and you know, there's certainly a lot of grounds and, and, uh, but I look at the you know, underlying strategy and I, I don't really fully, I don't think many people expect that you're going to, uh, get the Senate to approve any kind of impeachment to actually remove him from office. And, uh, I'm not even sure it's a particularly good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're stuck with him, and the Democrats are stuck with him. They don't, according to polls, they don't want him to run either. But uh, they have their other dire alternatives. With Kamala standing in the wings as the matrix pick for a black woman president, and and uh, they're going to have a hard time ducking out of that. And then they got Gavin Newsom standing in the behind the curtains, and uh, I don't know the DNC. We'll, we'll support him very, very uh, affirmatively uh, so long as Biden is in because, uh, you know, and he's, been, he's been a unmitigated disaster for for California. And you got, uh, particularly if you got Ron DeSantis, who's got a great track record in Florida, um, you know, countering his his story. So I think, there's, I think they're stuck with Biden, and they were stuck with Biden. Mm-hmm. And and I think really the strategy of, of impeachment is really to to flesh out, you know, the, as I've written before and others have noted that all the Hunter Biden scandals and the money transfers and the bank accounts and things that are absolutely egregious with, uh, ironically, uh, uh, a lot of corrupt uh, energy companies and, you know, one in China and the CEFC and Burisma in Ukraine and so on at the time that Biden's trying to kill American energy. 
is 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 rather strange and and rather foreboding and 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 so uh, you know these these scandals that the mainstream media simply will not report. Yeah. Or the you know I looking at New York Times this morning and they're trying to you know put spin on Hunter Biden's uh, you know uh, crimes and and so on and and uh, you know which, which you know they can't you know they can't continue to be successful at that. I think with about a year of uh, new revelations coming out almost <clears throat> almost daily with uh, revelations about bank accounts and and shell companies and money transfers and recorded voice messages and so on. Uh, you know, you can't hide stuff under the sheets that very much longer. And, and, and so this, I think the idea of an impeachment inquiry is absolutely necessary because at least it's, it's a vehicle for giving the House uh, the, the legal tools they need to get more information that, that the public should want before we vote. Mm-hmm. And so to get some of this information out before a very reticent and reluctant media that doesn't want to cover it. Uh, so I think I think impeachment inquiry is 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 absolutely important uh, as far as looking at what the real agenda is. You know they've been they've been trying to torture uh, uh, Donald Trump ever since he came down the golden escalator and and tarnish him some, to make him unelectable. Now they're doing it with trying to bleed him dry with uh, legal suits. Uh, but, uh, you know, and, and they've done this successfully, even though the two impeachments were now proven to be total, totally uh, un, you know, unwarranted. Right. So, so I think the idea is really to expose Biden and the corruption of the Biden family and Joe in particular, um, expose it uh, for for 2024 because everything hinges on 2024, and that's that's uh, I think the uh, the target for everybody. I think that's a great analysis, Professor. I mean, I think clearly we are stuck with Biden, and uh, it's pretty clear the Senate is not going to vote for impeachment, even if the House successfully impeaches. Uh, the president, uh, the, uh, the the Senate will probably not convict him at all. So I mean, that's to continue to bring out the information, shed light on what's going on. I think that's the best strategy. But I must say, just taking a step back, uh, the the corruption, the dishonesty, the lack of integrity, the lack of leadership on the part of this administration is revolting. It's just unbelievable. Well, we say you know the you know the corruption of the administration. We when you, when you define the word an administration, we're really looking at a totally weaponized FBI. When there's no going back to you know, you know Strzok and, and Lisa Page and and the insurance policy to get Trump, and they were you know, heading the FBI's crossfire hurricane investigation against against Trump and everyone associated with him and. And uh, you know, you you look at the IRS, and and most particularly, you look at the at the lengths they went to yeah. to uh, interfere yeah. with Hunter's uh, trial. You know, uh, ex- uh, exposing Hunter's activity in the Delaware court, where they were they were told to stay away from anything revolving the big guy or pops. Uh, you know, they were warrants, you know, search warrants were refused for looking at Hunter's uh, storage unit in Virginia and so on and so forth, we see how how expansively corrupt mm-hmm. you know the Washington swamp is and 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 they don't you know they're they can't hide it anymore because it's it's just too obvious. I think the you know the public is pretty much a lot of the public is pretty oblivious to what's going on and they you know, they watch reality TV or whatever they watch, and, and they're not paying attention. Mm-hmm. But there's a point where this stuff is even more interesting than reality TV because it's unreality politics. Yeah, right? you're absolutely... And it's finally, I think it's starting to, finally it's starting to take effect, and people are starting to take notice. And, and the the public and the media, I'm talking specifically the New York Times, but also, also the, in the Wall Street Journal, 
hates Trump. I mean, they despise Trump more than the New York Times does. Yeah. And because Trump was also a threat to the globalist corporations. Right. And and so, uh, you know, Trump's... But, but the public, if you're looking at the polls, uh, the public's catching on. Absolutely. Again, Professor uh, Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston. Just really appreciate your commentary here on the show. And again, uh, go to Newsmax.com. Check out the column on points. It's just great reading. Professor, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Bob, thanks for the voice you offer me. Thank you. My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got some great guests lined up for Monday. Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Larry Reed, endowed, uh, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, will be with us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. And I appreciate you for listening to the show. If you enjoy it, I hope you tell your friends. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.